Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Raise Green podcast. I'm your host today, Franz Hochstrasser, CEO and co-founder of Raise Green. Raise Green podcast explores the climate crisis through the minds of local leaders and global experts. Short, accessible conversations explore new ways of working together via personal stories about creating a healthy, just, and sustainable future. As economic disparity, environmental degradation, and social injustices continue emerging as defining issues of the 21st century, we need solutions that scale faster than the pace of the problems. These conversations ask how. Welcome to Raise Green. Today's guest is Mr. Rob Greenfield, who is an activist and humanitarian dedicated to leading the way to a more sustainable and just world. He embarks on extreme projects to bring attention to important global issues and inspire positive change. His work has been covered by media worldwide, including National Geographic, and he's been named the Robin Hood of Modern Times by France 2 TV. Rob's life is an embodiment of Gandhi's philosophy, be the change that you wish to see in the world. And in a time when many feel disempowered, he believes that our actions really do matter and that as individuals and communities, we have the power to improve the world around us. Rob donates 100% of his media earnings to grassroots nonprofits. He is committed to living simply and responsibly for life. And you can find out more about his work at www.robgreenfield.org. But you can also hear from the man himself right here because we have him on the line. Hi, Rob. Hello. Nice to be speaking with you this morning. Well, it's, it's wonderful to be speaking with you as well. And thank you so much for joining us on Raise Green. My pleasure. I'll get started here with our first question. So in one of your Instagram posts regarding a small boy stealing your bike, you mentioned the power of, quote, restorative peace, end quote, in achieving more, a more harmonious end result in a community. And although this term has previously been tied to closely knit communities, can you see restorative peace playing out in national and international politics and aiding in the resolution uh, of the climate crisis? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the way that I look at the world is that every single person in power, no matter the, the degree of power, whether it's the president of the United States or a local governor in Egypt, if they have governors, but something of that sort, or just a person walking down the street, a school teacher, a, you know, an electrician or a plumber, it doesn't matter who you are, there's one thing, and that's we're all human beings. We're all human beings with basic needs and desires. Um, we all want to belong. We all want to be loved. Most of us want to be respected and appreciated. And that holds true for every, every politician, every CEO, every world leader. And I think that it is at the essence to treat people as human beings and remember that they are that. And so obviously a lot of impact that is made through our laws and regulations and so on. But behind every single one of those laws and regulations are human beings sitting down and discussing this. And although it can become pretty emotionless and unempathetic and robotic and disconnected. These are all human beings. And if you can tap into their humanity and their desires and the needs, and you can bring that to them, 
then you can change the way that people govern and the way that corporations are run. And you can make massive impacts by remembering this, that we're all human beings. Absolutely. The humanity of, of each and every one of us, I think it's so diminished at times in this kind of digital age and particularly with the challenges of, of COVID um, and, and quarantining, et cetera. It's more and more difficult, it feels like, to connect uh, interpersonally. I think you're, you're such a, a powerful model of doing that. And so appreciate those views on, on restorative peace. Yeah. And I just want to say that's something that I, I struggle myself with through, you know, almost, it's almost been two years now since COVID spread across this world. And my life has definitely changed. I'm, a, you know, a very privileged person. And so overall, life is still good. And I get to manage to live the life I want. But that being said, I have struggled with a lot of things. And one of them is connecting to other people in these times is more challenging. Um, but I do think it's one of the most absolutely important things to our health and well-being of ourselves as individuals and as uh, local communities and global communities is making sure that we continue to connect with each other. Disconnection is, in my opinion, at the root of so many of the world problems. And, and, it, and we must, through these times, continue to, to connect with each other and to love each other and to, um, to appreciate and have gratitude for one another. Absolutely. Much of uh, what we see you sharing across social media, across the stories that you tell and highlight and lift up are instances where you are kind of being the change you want to see living organically, for example, on a, your small plot of land. You strive to find many alternatives, steer away from wasteful and harmful practices from an environmental standpoint, as well as it sounds, you know, from a, a social standpoint. But there must be circumstances where you're kind of forced to make certain decisions that would have potentially negative impacts on the earth. Are there circumstances in which you're kind of forced to make those difficult choices? And how do you navigate those? Yes, absolutely. And that's something that I was, I've been just thinking about over the last few days. And in fact, I just shared a, a post on, on social media sharing about, you know, my dilemma with raising funds in order to be able to accomplish the, the greater good for our society. But the, the fact that by focusing on money, I'm lowering my, myself in a sense. What I mean by that is that our monetary system is, is one that is obviously wrought with corruption and injustice and inequity. Like our monetary system was built along with things like slavery, genocide, and they are so intertwined. Um, you know, the, the prison industrial complex, the military industrial complex, all of these things are so deeply tied in with money. And every time we're involved with money, well, we can choose to be involved in, with money in a way that ties into that or actually can liberate us from that. And so, you know, my, my life is my message and everything is very well integrated. Uh, I practice a, a holistic approach of life of realizing there is no separation between anything. We are one whole. But there's two big elements of the work that I do. One is me living the change I want to see in the world and showing people that it's possible. And then secondly, there's the programs that I do like community fruit trees and free seed project to be able to provide resources to communities to gain sovereignty. 
And for that, that requires money. And money requires me getting it from somewhere. And that comes down to the level of ethics that I can stick to and get the resources that I need in order to do that. So that's one part, you know, is sourcing funds in order to accomplish good. And then the second part is just for example, with the free seed project that I run, we send seed packs to 10,000 people who request them who otherwise wouldn't have access to seeds or who are new gardeners. So we're getting thousands of people to grow food, but we pack all of them in little plastic baggies because the cost for paper is like so cost prohibitive. So here I am pumping out, what, 120,000 little tiny one inch by one inch plastic bags. And so the reason that I do it is that it's very clear to me that the impact that is had through it far outweighs the negative side of it. And so that's the key to life is the balance. It's not thinking in black and white. That's one of my absolute biggest suggestions to people. Don't look at world in black and white. Don't look at it in labels, but instead look critically. Think critically, problem solve, analyze, and every situation is going to be different and we have to figure out what we can do. It's a lot more mentally taxing than just following simple labels or black and white thought processes. But that's the true solution to the world we live in is embracing that every situation is different and that we have to think critically as to what the best thing we can do in that moment is. Certainly, certainly. The discussion that you had there about the monetary system, you know, being kind of foundationally built on this historical inequity and at times racism and, you know, certainly oppression, it resonates a lot with what we do here at Raise Green because what we often say is there's an extractive capitalist approach to building wealth and that that has been kind of historically the mode of operation. But there's also this possibility of an inclusive capitalist world where you know, we're doing it from the standpoint of wanting to help one another uh, succeed and you know, the sort of rising tides lift all boats. But certainly the compromises even within that of you, know, you spending your time raising money so that you can do, have a higher leverage point for doing greater good and getting the message out wider, it resonates deeply with our work as well here. So. Totally feel you. And then on the free seed project, first off, cheers for getting so many seeds out into the world, people growing more and more. And if the cost is a plastic baggie here and there, or even 120,000 to to get people bought into growing their own food and taking control of their gardening and food production, um, then perhaps it's, it's a worthy cost. Yes. And you know, that's something that I spend time thinking about, which is transitional ethics, which I've, I've been surprised at the number of people who haven't heard of this idea of transitional ethics, but it's really simple. It's that we are in a transition time, or at least we're, we're trying to be in a trans- transition time. All of us that are trying to change the way the society interacts with earth, with humanity as a whole, with all of our plant and animal relatives, all of us are, we're trying to transition the society to doing things in a different way. So we're in a transition time and transitional times call for transitional ethics. And what that means is that we can't live in the future. Now we can't 
accomplish everything that we want to accomplish without having to do some of the things that do not match our ethics to the exactitude to, you know, to a hundred percent. So transitional ethics would involve looking at the scenario and seeing, okay, here is the negative impact that we'll have, but is utilizing these resources strategic and smart to get us to where we are trying to go. And I live a life of transition ethics. I could today go live in the woods in a house that I build myself from scratch from 100% materials from the land. And I could grow and forage 100% of my food and I could live like a basically no impact life. But I wouldn't have nearly as much of a shift in society as compared to me using these technologies that I stand against in many ways and me being involved in certain ways in the monetary system, mostly working with people who have money to redistribute it to create a more equitable system there. But all of these are little conflicts of interest. Uh, they all can you know, make me challenge my own ethic systems. But I believe that this is what we need to do in order to shift our society. Yeah, transitional ethics is certainly a powerful concept that I think more of us need to embrace. It reminds me of transitional justice and the the manner in which human rights discourse kind of addresses post-genocidal and uh, post-evil kind of regimes, transitions from things like, you know, the Rwandan genocide and the Holocaust and um, not not to to go too deep on that, but simply to to say that, you know, as you said, we we are again in a transitional period, and figuring out the ethical implications of various compromises to move us forward is powerful work that must be done and embraced. Um, and I think you're you're a great example of that. Um, I want to invoke this image to shift gears briefly. You uh, for almost a month or a month you walked around with uh, 4.5 pounds of trash uh, um, kind of stapled to your, your body in various ways as a demonstration of the amount of trash that the average American creates per day. And it's, it's one of many posts where you seem to be showing us ways to change how we live in order to uh, live a more sustainable life or, or rather make the point that discomfort that we enjoy comes at a cost. So I'm, I'm curious, do the sustainability paths that you're advocating for and living force us to sacrifice our comfort? And should we balance our level of comfort with our, our duty to become more sustainable? Yes. Um, yeah. So to, to clarify what that was, yeah, that was a project where for one month I lived like the average American. I shopped, I consumed like the average U.S. American. Um, but the catch was I had to wear every piece of garbage that I created. And I had a specially designed trash suit with clear pockets to put it all in and distribute it. And every day, the average person creates four and a half pounds of trash. So we're talking every day adding, it ended up being about three pounds for me. And by the end, I was wearing 90 pounds of garbage everywhere that I went in New York City, grocery shopping to the movies, getting in a public transportation And I was just a walking billboard for what consumerism actually looks like if we pay attention. And um, it was a very, very successful project in just waking people up. People saw it and they saw that I was merely a reflection of them, that I was them, except 
they had a garbage can and I didn't. Um, now, this, you know, the, the strategic thing for me would be to say, no, you know, we don't have to be any less comfortable. Um, and the answer to that is, in a way, also, no, we can be equally as comfortable. What I mean by this is, yes, the reality of the way that we are living in, for example, the United States of America, um, but many wealthy nations, is at the, the comfort that we get, the convenience that we get is at the expense of others, our human relatives, but our plant and animal relatives, our earth as a whole. The reason that life is so comfortable and convenient is because the, uh, the burden is being placed elsewhere. The work is being placed elsewhere. So just as an example, when you get in your car, you sit down, on your seat, your comfortable seat, you just merely move your foot forward ever so slightly and you're going from zero to 60 miles per hour in no time. Very easy, very comfortable. So who's paying for that? Well, there's always somebody paying for this type of convenience and comfort. In this scenario, it's the routine thousands of oil spills that happen per year for us to have those fossil fuels. It's the um, people who live next to the oil refineries that have two to four times higher rates of cancer and respiratory diseases. And these are generally communities of color in the United States. It's the war that we go to and the millions of people that have been murdered because of the need for oil through wars that the United States has had with the world. So all of this is the burden that we are placing upon the earth when we take part in this convenience um, and comfort. So do we need to be willing to step away from convenience and comfort if we want to honestly be talking about living an equitable, just and regenerative present for a future? Absolutely. The only way you can really go around that is delusion. With that being said, we can be extremely comfortable because once we choose to have a mindset that the earth can provide us with what we need, if we work with the earth, we can have what we need. And if we can work with our community, we can do things in a way that doesn't pillage the earth and destroy other cultures in order to have what we need. And the reality of the situation is that, yes, in certain ways, my life is less comfortable because I've chosen to forego quite a bit of conveniences. But my life is honestly far more like in the, than it was in the past and that what I've experienced in society. I, I live in such a deeper state of contentment, of feeling purposeful, of feeling complete in my existence. And all of this comes through shedding all of the consumerism, all of the trying to fill our holes inside of us with material possessions, and instead embracing our existence, the existences that we have that have inherently been connected to this earth and only recently have been disconnected. And if we can simply embrace what is freely and abundantly given to us by this earth, and by our work as human beings with this earth, then, then we can live a comfortable, enjoyable lives.
Uh, what a vision and something to strive for, for sure. And I, I know that you share that vision broadly and widely across digital media platforms, social media, a great way to effectively communicate uh, your sustainability goals, um, your embodiment of of those that that ethic. You know, at the same time, social media, you know, as we were saying earlier, kind of only gets you so far for those that aren't on it, they're not seeing it. But also, increasingly, we're hearing folks feeling like uh, digital overload. And, <laughs> um, and so I mean, I'm curious, do you also engage kind of directly among community members there in Asheville and, and around where you travel to have conversations about the different examples of sustainable living that you purvey, as well as you know, larger issues, um, climate policy, you know, voting on climate and sustainability issues, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, for me, the only reason that I use the internet is because it's something that exists in this time that we live in as a great tool. So I will, I use whatever tools that exist from podcasts and videos to TV and newspapers to writing books to writing articles to public speaking. And then I do a lot in person, you know, classes, for example, you know, beginning gardening classes, I take people out foraging so that they can connect with the earth and learn the plants that are growing around them. Just always looking for ways to bring people closer to, you know, to nature and, and ultimately themselves. And um, that comes through, you know, both organized things. And then just, I mean, I spend so many time, so much time with what people would call strangers, just as I travel all over, like my life is just spending time with different people, people that I've known for my whole life and people that I just met that day. And then just, you know, living a, a, a deep life with them for that period of time that we have together. So I'm all about, uh, one of these days I'd like to shut off to, to close the lid on this computer for the last time and never open it back up. Um, oh man, I'm with you there. I'm as a matter of fact, I actually did get rid of my computer at the age of 30. That was one of my goals. And um, I, I managed it. I made it three months and I just found that I was not being productive enough at, at the mission that I'm on. And so after mm -hmm. three months, I, I bought a computer and which is the same one I still have. I bought it for $400 used on Craigslist and uh, met at a library. I think I was in Gainesville, Florida, and I'm still using that one today. To me, yes, I want to, I, eventually I, I want to be off all of the technology and um, I, you know, I'd still go on it. For example, if a news channel comes and wants to do a story, I speak to the camera, but then I'm not on this stuff. So that's, that's my dream is to, to move away from all the technology. Yeah, for the time being, you know, using the, the tools of the system to change it from within, I think, is the mode of uh, systems change that at least us at Raise Green, we're working hard toward. I see you doing a lot of that as well and doing it so effectively that it would be, you know, a sense, I think, difficult to, to let all of that go. You've been able to reach so many folks and, and share so many powerful narratives and stories. Um, so cheers to the good work of, of doing it and living it. And any last uh, pearls of wisdom or reflections of what you'd like to convey to our, our listeners? Well, I think one thing that I would like to share is that, you know, we live in daunting times. 
we live in a time where it's very easy to be overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And for a lot of people, this, this overwhelmingness, it shuts them down to the point where often people just feel like the problems are so big that the solution is to just do nothing or not the solution, but that's what they can muster. And what I encourage is just embracing who you are. You can only be you, where you are in that moment and the time that you're in. You have to just simply embrace this. And then you have to start there. And you'll never become an expert of anything without practice. If you're trying to become an amazing CEO or professional sports player, musician, dancer, singer, you know, mathematician, any of these things require practice and to live an equitable, just regenerative life takes practice. You will not break free from society overnight and switch to this dream life that you may be dreaming of. But if you stick to it and you're making changes every week and you're doing a little bit more, thinking about changing where you're putting your money, how you move yourself around, maybe a bicycle instead of a car, the food that you're eating, sourcing it locally, unpackaged, unprocessed, the way you create trash, reducing the amount of trash you create and finding reusable alternatives instead. All of these things, one bit at a time, can change your ways into an existence that's more in alignment with this earth. And then as you start to shift, that's when I see power. I see power in people who know that they can stand up to these corporations and to these governments because they can say, I've seen that I don't need you at least some of the time. And that allows them to be able to stand up. So it's about that embodiment of the change that you want to see through small actions that add up to being able to be a, a truly powerful human being in, in changing this world. Deeply inspiring. Everyone has agency. Uh, you've made that so clear um, through your, your actions and your words. Um, so can't thank you enough for sharing those, uh, those views and uh, a few of your precious minutes on the planet um, with us here at Raise Green for this episode. And I'm confident our, our listeners will appreciate it as well. So uh, Rob Greenfield, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and I do wanna say one last thing, and that is um, you know, one of the reasons I, I hopped on this podcast is I know that people listening to this, um, probably there's a lot of entrepreneurials and people that you know want to make good things happen. And uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work right now to you know, strategize for my 2022 as far as the projects that we do that have impact, which includes like free seed project, community fruit trees, activism campaigns. And I'm looking for partners, people that want to uh, that have funds that want to make a positive difference in the world. And I believe that we can work together. So if that's you, definitely um, reach out to us. Just go, you can go to my website and click the contact button, or you can just email us at info at robgreenfield.org. And I'd love to hear from you. Splendid. I'm sure you'll get, you'll get some incoming. And I look forward to, to working with you hand in hand or alongside toward those aims. So uh, Rob, thank you so much again, and yeah, have a have a lovely holiday season. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, yeah, really appreciate it. <laughs>